But I've certainly sat there and asked myself the question, is this all that life is? It felt like there should be more, that I'd been promised more. And instead, here I was, just going through the motions. Welcome to the 43rd episode of the Leader Rising podcast. I'm your host and coach, Paul Carvanis. We're here for the thinkers, the problem solvers, the creators. Life is so fascinating and we want with all of our being to just dive in and live it. We don't want to be going through the motions. We don't want to be on the sidelines. We want to be in it, in the thick of it. We're not afraid of hard work. We want to love our lives. And we're willing to stand up and take responsibility for what it means to live our own lives. So I follow this guy on LinkedIn called Bob Tarantino. He writes this column called Counsel for Counsel. Unsurprisingly, it is advice for lawyers. So he wrote this post the other day that sort of triggered me. He said, don't get too worked up about finding your passion or doing a job that you love. Instead, figure out what you're good at. Now, on the one hand, I sort of agree with this. I happen to think that the advice, find what you love to do and you'll never work another day in your life, has been somewhat damaging to me as I've moved into adulthood and really established myself here. Because it turns out that there is work <laughs> always. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe I'll look back in 10 years and actually say that that advice was great and it set me on the right path. Because after all, the story is only over when the last chapter is done. And it's only a failure if it happens in the last chapter. But from this perspective, it seems like what it has done was in increased my discontent with the world in a dangerous way. So on the one hand, I agree with what he says. On the other hand, I just, I refuse to believe this is true, that there are people who are working in their passion. Now, why not me? And why not you? So it got me thinking of a spectrum, right? Because this is not binary. So on one side, let's put, um, you don't work because you're doing what you love. And on the other side of the spectrum is life and work are totally separate. So most of us are somewhere on this spectrum. We're not on any of the extremes. And I was thinking that for some of us, there's an expectation that we'd be further down on the spectrum, further closer to, you're not working because you love what you do. And in that feeling, this expectation that we should be lower down, there's guilt that we're not more like this. And so the guilt itself actually tends to move us up the spectrum. The guilt of feeling like you should be lower and doing more work that you love can tend to make you more dissatisfied with the work you are doing. But I've certainly sat there and asked myself the question, is this all that life is? It felt like there should be more, that I'd been promised more. And instead, here I was, just going through the motions. Cal Newport says it's dangerous to try 
to be on that part of the spectrum. That if you focus on being excellent, on being so good that they can't ignore you, that it will come. You see, it's, it's not a question of where we want to be on the spectrum, since we'd all choose the bottom if we could, the place where we don't work because we love what we do. So instead, maybe it's about where we expect to be. And, and how much does personal responsibility come into play here? Because when you see your life as a result of your personal manifestation, you come to see yourself as responsible for both your happiness and your unhappiness, your ability to do work you love and not, and therefore your responsibility for being dissatisfied with what you're doing. And so then I'm thinking this through, and I'm like, oh, wait a second. The spectrum isn't just about loving what we do, since the other side is actually just not giving a shit. So actually, it's two variables. It's loving and caring. So the first spectrum is, do you love what you do? Do you hate what you do? And somewhere in the middle, you're indifferent to what you do. The second spectrum is whether you care whether you love what you do. And on the other side, you really just don't care whether you love what you do. And so the problem actually comes when you both are indifferent and hate or hate what you do, and you really care that you love it. And so if every person was distributed evenly on those two spectrums, you'd find that only a quarter of people happen to fall in the bottom half of both of them. But of course, we can't assume that because we're a product of our environment. And our environment is full of messages that bombard us all the time that we're not good enough, that life is better, spend your money with us and life will be better. And so I think it sets us up to be in the habit of thinking like life can and should be better than the way it is. So Newport has an interesting thought. He says that most people that view their work as a vocation and not as a job have three factors present. Relatedness, competence, and autonomy. The autonomy is that they get to choose what they want to do and when they want to do it. The competence is that they're good at it. And the relatedness is that they like the people they work with. So if you have all three of these things, you're going to feel a greater sense of satisfaction from what you're doing. Maybe not all the way on you love what you're doing and you'll never work another day, but certainly it'll feel like a vocation more than simply a job. And so I think that's why he focuses on the view. Just focus on becoming so good. Focus on the competence side. And then the rest of it will take care of itself. You'll be good enough to be given that autonomy. You'll be good enough to choose the places where you like the people you work with. Okay, so that's all fine and dandy, but what does that do to those of us in it? Well, lately, I've started to increasingly notice how big a deal self-compassion is. I don't know if you've heard, but I've started, I've committed to writing this book. Working title is The Happy Lawyer, but basically, I want to look at what makes us happy and what doesn't and what are the obstacles that get in our way and how do we get through them so that we can actually feel fulfilled in life. So, so this topic is actually central, not just to my own life, but to the work I want to create in this life. So I, I care about it very much. And, and for the record, because I'll probably forget to say this later, I don't think that I have all the answers. And so would totally appreciate your thoughts on this and perspectives. And hey, man, I could have half of this wrong, but probably not more than half because I'm a pretty smart cookie. 
So what does self-compassion do? What is the effect of self-compassion on us on those spectrums? And I think what it does is that it artificially pushes us on the spectrum. So if you, sorry, a lack of self-compassion artificially pushes us on the spectrum. So if you are being really hard on yourself, you are going to push yourself closer towards not liking what you do, further towards indifference or past indifference towards hating it. And if you're hard on yourself, you're going to push yourself closer to caring whether you love what you do. And I want to distinguish between two types of care here. There's the care that most of us are familiar with, where we want it so bad and it's such a big deal and everything's going to matter if we get it or not. And then there's the caring that I read about in Pema Chodron's Buddhist book, where it's about, yeah, you care about it, but there's non-attachment to the caring, where you just appreciate it and you try not to get too worked up if it actually doesn't come to pass. So a lack of self-compassion actually hurts us here. And unsurprisingly, I found, I've found that a lot of lawyers are pretty hard on themselves. So a few other key points to raise here. One, you got to look at burnout. I don't know if you remember from my last episode, but I was talking about how missing a deficiency need colors your, your perspective of the present and the future. So in fact, if you're missing one of these needs, it's hard to trust your perspective sometimes. And the most important thing you can do is try and fill that need for yourself. So if you have a lack of self-compassion, you are likely deficient in the self-esteem need. Now, you guys couldn't hear because my guy edited it out, but there was a long pause there as I just paused to think about what I just said. And this is, I guess, uh, both the blessing and the curse of you being with me as I'm investigating this, because, you know, like I said, I don't know the answers. I'm not totally sure that someone who lacks self-compassion is automatically lacking self-esteem, but I think it's probably true. And for those people who listen to this and think, oh man, I'm so confident. There's like, I have problems, but they're not a lack of self-esteem. I just first want to let you know that I thought that too. But really what it was is I was building this life to avoid ever having to confront the fact that I didn't have the self-esteem. It's like the woman who has a thorn in her arm. And anytime it touches anything, it's excruciating. It hurts so much. She thinks there's no way I can take this out. But also, I don't want to stop living. So she you know, really enjoys playing soccer. She builds this elaborate sort of cast contraption for her arm that can protect uh, herself from the thorn. So she can still play soccer. She's not as good at it as she was without the cast, but she can still play. And she can't risk turning over in her bed and rolling on it while she sleeps. So she has to sleep in this contraption she made that holds her in one certain way. And she needs to make sure that no one brushes by her on the subway and accidentally touches it, so she commutes only a certain way. And she's like, ah, finally, I've rid my life of the effect of this thorn. Except in trying to avoid the thorn, she's done the exact opposite of rid her life of the effect of the thorn. She's instead built her whole life around the thorn. That was me with self-esteem. I chased prestigious profession at a prestigious firm. I made certain to work out. 
to be smart. I cared very much about status and not looking like a fool. And I cared an incredible amount about not making mistakes. Because if I didn't make mistakes, then I had self-worth. But people who make mistakes are fools. And obviously I can't have that. Anyway, so that was my little sidebar on how it's really hard to assess this if you're deficient in one of the fundamental needs. The other thing I want to investigate is minimalism's effect here. I've always had a real draw to it. And I think what it is, is that so many of us chase the rabbit down the wrong hole. We spend our time, our our energy, our money on the things that don't actually move the needle towards making us happy and feel good in this life. And instead, we're seeking to address these other little pain points that ultimately don't matter. That in trying to address them, we're moving away from what really does matter. So I put that out there just as to let you know I'm investigating that and also to invite you to let me know if you've got thoughts on that or experiences in your own life. So what if you want to love what you do? Well, I think the first thing you do right now is you take care of the hull of your boat. You patch the holes, you make sure you're seaworthy, that you're not taking on water, that you're not spending all of your energy just bailing. And then then you focus on building your sail. It doesn't need to be sequential like that. I think that you can be doing them both at the same time. But I think the problem that so many of us make is we chase self-actualization when we don't really have our other stuff taken care of. So you can have the best sail in the world. Your boat ain't going anywhere if it's got four giant holes under the waterline. So, so what does that actually look like in our lives? Well, well, first, try and take a good, honest look at yourself and, and assess how you feel about your safety, your connection, and your self-esteem, the three deficiency needs. And you can start thinking about your growth needs, love, exploration, and purpose. You should think about ensuring you're saving enough money so that you don't have golden handcuffs and you don't feel trapped. And you should overcome the negative thinking habit so that the lack of self-compassion doesn't push you the wrong direction on these scales and instead lean into gratitude and self-compassion. I'm just putting the finishing touches on what I want the Becoming a Writer workshop to look like. And one of the things that really stuck out to me while I was creating it was this thing that James Clear, he says, he says, Rome wasn't built in a day. It was built brick by brick. That workshop is all about laying bricks every day. And it's got to be the same thing on your journey. Don't focus on having the Vatican, the Sistine Chapel, the Pantheon. Instead, just focus on one brick a day and enjoy the process of laying bricks. So if you've thought about writing and wanted to try it and never have, or you have and you've stalled out, reach out to me leaderrising.com slash contact. Send me a note. And either way, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what we've talked about today. Dream big and live bigger. Peace. Peace.